What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. When you hear the words driverless vehicle, you might picture one of those prototypes in YouTube videos. You know, a small hatchback with a big gizmo on the roof and sensors sticking out all over the place, and nobody in the driver's seat. Or maybe you think of Tesla's getting closer but not quite there yet autopilot feature. According to the Tesla website, autopilot, enhanced autopilot, and full self-driving features do not make their vehicles autonomous. Drivers must be fully attentive with their hands on the wheel. The promise of truly autonomous vehicles has attracted a lot of attention over the years and a lot of investor money. Meanwhile, Fiat has announced that it has joined a BMW-led consortium to develop self-driving car technology. The Japan's SoftBank has announced they will invest two and a quarter billion dollars in General Motors' self-driving car unit called the Cruise. The move is and self-driving cars are starting to show up on the roads in states like California and Arizona. Waymo, formerly known as Google's self-driving car project, will soon start offering rides to the public in self-driving vans. There's also still plenty of skepticism, though, especially whenever there's an accident involving one of these test vehicles. Well, this morning, a woman is in the hospital after suffering critical injuries after she was hit by a driverless car in downtown San Francisco last night. Now, according to the but with so much attention on cars, you might not know that one of the fastest growing areas in the push toward driverless vehicles is actually trucks. And not pickups, but box trucks and the massive 18-wheelers on the highway that deliver goods all over the U.S. Several U.S. companies, including Kodiak, Gaddock, and Aurora, are now testing autonomous trucks on the open road in Texas. Bloomberg Transportation reporter Thomas Black has taken a ride in these trucks, and he's here to talk about what these companies are trying to do and the high bar they have to meet to succeed. All these companies know that they have to be almost flawless, if not perfect, on the technology as far as safety goes. And later we hear from Chris Ermson, the CEO of Aurora, about why he believes his 18-wheelers will be on the road without a driver as early as next year. I'm Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, are you ready to share the road with driverless trucks? Tom, I think we're all aware that driverless cars have been in production in various ways for a long time. But what I did not know is that there's not one but three driverless truck companies right now in Texas. There are, and there's going to be more. It's a technology that probably has been proven out, and now it's proving its safety case. And then they're going to roll out that safety case to people, and then they're going to take drivers out, and we're going to see these on the roads if their pathway turns out the way they think it's going to turn out. Tell us about the companies that are making these trucks and putting them on the road and exactly how they work, what they're doing. 
So you have to think about these companies as software companies because they're not going to make the trucks. The trucks are going to be made by the manufacturers that have made trucks for decades and more. All these other truck makers are going to provide the vehicles. And these guys really are going to add, obviously, the software. And these are big onboard computers. That's very important because you want to be able to have the vehicles self-sustained. It doesn't need the internet to be able to operate. And then the mechanical side is really about redundancy. You want to make sure if something fails, like the steering wheel, that the thing doesn't careen off and hurt some people. So they're going to have redundant actuators and motors on the three things that we use to drive a vehicle, the steering wheel, the brakes, and the gas. So, Tom, these are three different companies that are doing it, and I imagine they each have a slightly different approach to figuring out how you put a truck on the highway without anyone driving it. The approach behind how this is going to work with the software and the mechanics is somewhat similar. It's about having three basic types of sensors. You have cameras, of course, and then LiDAR, and then you have radar. So you have the sensor package, and then the sensor package connects to the computer, and the computer has to analyze all this data coming in and make the decisions. And then those decisions are translated into the actuators, which are little things that can either turn or twist or whatever. And then it'll be attached to, again, those three modes of driving, the steering wheel, the, the gas, and the brake. That all is pretty much the same, really. Where they might differ is what part of the market they want to go after. Gatik, for example, wants to go after what they would call the middle market, connecting the warehouse to the store. And then you have Kodiak and Aurora, which all they want to do is take it from warehouse to warehouse. And those warehouses would be usually outside of the city, right along a major highway, so they don't have to go into city traffic. Tom, give us a little tutorial here. I think we're all familiar with cameras would be. But what's the difference between the two other technologies, radar and LIDAR? So radar, they bounce off radio waves, and it, if it hits something, it will echo back. And that way they can see, okay, there's something in that radio wave spectrum out there. LIDAR is essentially the same type of concept, except it's with light. Some of them work better when it's raining, others need more light, so they complement each other. And then, of course, you have the cameras, which gives you a, a visual. They talk about being able to have sensors out to about a thousand meters. So you have these three main modes constantly sweeping and picking up information. About every tenth of a second, they're going through a cycle and feeding the computer information. So they have a pretty good picture of what's going on around them. If you're riding down the road and you see a driverless truck, does it look the same as a regular 18-wheeler or does it have all kinds of stuff stuck on the outside? Aurora has a sensor bar that goes on top of the cab and it had these almost like cone-shaped things. What would it be like a paint can size, maybe a little smaller, sticking out on the top? And then Kodiak has taken a different tact. They're putting their sensor package in the area where the rear view mirror is. So it looks like a small toolbox you might have in your garage that's tipped up on its end. So it's bigger than the normal rear view mirror, and it does have the mirror in there, but along with that, it has a bunch of sensors. And right now, the Kodiak, all of them have their names on them, and some have autonomous truck written across them. So if you know what you're looking for, you can see them. Tom, when you were reporting this story, you actually got to get inside the cab of these trucks and ride inside them. What was that like? It was a lot of fun. I love to do these type of things where you get to 
go see something. You have a safety driver. It's usually a driver that's had a ton of experience and they pick the most safe drivers possible to recruit. And then on the passenger seat of the truck, there will be a, another person who's taking all kinds of diagnostics of how the system's working and if it had to be engaged and all these kinds of things that they do to build their safety case, essentially. As you take off, the truck starts and the safety driver has his hands covered over the wheel, but you can tell he's about an inch or so away from it. I was watching the hands quite a lot. I wanted to see, okay, when we do a turn or we do something, is he going to touch this or grab this? But during the trip, I did not see that happen. I was impressed with that. And in our particular case, we pulled out of the terminal, drove up a service road. We're going up this service road and we come to a stop sign. The truck turns left, and one of the impressive things is that we were going over an overpass over the uh, highway, and it navigated a stoplight that didn't have a protected left turn, where you actually get the green arrow to turn, and you don't have to worry about oncoming traffic because they have to stop. If you don't have that protected left, you have to wait for all those cars to clear, and then you have to go. And sometimes you might have to make a pretty quick decision if there's traffic and there's only a small space. So this truck was able to navigate that. It had the green light and it waited and a couple of cars came by and it pulled out, got on the highway. We drove on the highway a bit. These things are gonna drive a couple of miles per hour below the speed limit. They're gonna stay in the right lanes. They're going to prod along and they're probably not going to interact as much with vehicles as some other trucks do when they're trying to gain a little bit on the traffic and so forth. They might be changing lanes more often. The machine doesn't care how long it takes to get to their destination. They're just going to plod along. There was an instance where a vehicle was coming on the on-ramp and the truck had a decision. It could pull over and give it space or it could slow down. The truck decided to slow down because there were cars that were coming up on its uh, left faster. One of the coolest experiences was at the four-way stop to turn back on the service road and get back to the warehouse. There was quite a few cars. In fact, every one of the stop signs had a line of cars. So people had to navigate this correctly and take their turn. So the truck comes up, it stops, and they were kind of explaining to me what it's doing. It's checking everybody where its turn is, and the three cars went, and then the truck lunged forward. And after it lunged forward, it stopped and then it did the turn. And they explained to me that the, the truck was gaining its space. In other words, it was saying, okay, it's my turn with that lunge. And then when no other car moved, the truck then proceeded. So these are the kind of things that they have to program into this to mimic how humans drive so that they can interact with vehicles that have humans behind the, the wheel. Did it feel kind of eerie to be in a truck that was driving itself? I would say it was actually mundane in a way, because you do have the safety driver there. You know he can grab the wheel at any time. It doesn't spook you in that sense. It is cool to watch when the truck makes a turn, and then after it completes the turn, the wheel has to wind back as the wheels straighten up. So that's when you can really see that, oh, hey, he's not grabbing this wheel at all. <laughs> I was taking lots of video of that because to me, that's where the action is, right? <laughs> Watching this truck steer itself. After the break, what these trucks have to do to persuade the public that they're safe. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Tom, you've mentioned the names of these three companies. Tell us about them. These are American companies? They're American companies. In fact, Gatik and Kodiak are based in Silicon Valley. And Aurora is officially based in Pittsburgh, but their founder, Chris Ermson, is based in Silicon Valley. So they're tech companies. The interesting thing is most of these guys know each other. Google was an early mover in autonomous vehicle technology. And Chris Ermson and Don Burnett, who's the CEO of Kodiak, they both worked there. It's about software. That's what makes the barrier to entry to this is somewhat low in that sense. You don't have to set up a truck manufacturing facility to be able to to get into the business. It really is about the software. All three of them are testing these trucks in Texas. Why Texas? Texas was an early mover in setting up the regulations for this to happen. They uh, passed legislation that set the groundwork to test and eventually operate autonomous vehicles on the roads. That gives a lot of certainty. So I think that's one of the things that was attractive. The other is that Texas is a very big freight market. In fact, it's the second biggest freight market behind California. And it has a vast area. It has a big port in Houston, has several ports. Also, it has Dallas, which is a transportation hub because it's basically in the middle of the country and it has lots of wide open flat spaces. And Tom, you write that all of these ports and transport hubs make a really good testing ground because these trucks can practice in real life conditions. That's right. They start out with lots of simulation and doing things in a test area. This is how they got their start. They would be in confined area where they could test the vehicles and make sure the software was doing what it was supposed to and reading all the sensors correctly. Once they got to a, a certain skill level, then they had to take it to the road. They've been doing this for several years now, and they're getting close to saying, hey, we're ready. In the case of Aurora, they have came out and made a pretty bold statement that said that our software is ready. It can handle any of the events that come up on the road. The truck can handle all the circumstances that it's going to face. They've said that case is closed. Now we're going to present our safety case. Kodiak hasn't made that statement. They say that they're there, but they're doing things a little bit differently. 
that's kind of the progression I think we're going to see. They're testing them on the road right now. They still have the safety drivers. At some point, they're going to have to take the safety drivers out. I think the people are going to want to see more information about how many times these safety drivers actually grab the wheel. They don't publish those. They say they give that information to authorities. But I think at some point, they're going to have to bring a lot of information to the public to say this is why we know these things are safe. This question of safety, you report, is really the big one that trying to persuade both regulators and just normal people driving on the road that these things are safe. I think I can make as bold a statement to say that if they don't make the roadways safer, the industry will fail. And why is that? It's almost a taboo thing. We do not want machines that can hurt people. I, th- I think most people would agree with me on that. But that's a pretty low bar. Because on our roadways, 40,000 people die every year. That includes everything, passenger vehicles. That is an alarmingly high number. And people have absorbed that information. They've decided they can take the risk and they get in their vehicles every day and they drive. And as far as large trucks, 5,000 people die in accidents that involve large trucks. And most of those people are the passenger car drivers just because the truck is much bigger. And the vast majority of the time, the truck driver is not at fault. It's usually a motorist that has done something silly or something stupid and causes accidents. These autonomous vehicles are going to have to be safer. I think that's clear, or it's just not going to be accepted by the public. Aurora, Kodiak, Gatik, all these companies know that they have to be almost flawless, if not perfect, on the technology as far as safety goes. There are going to be accidents. It's inevitable that there will be accidents. But the truck, the system has to be able to show that it either wasn't our fault or it was some kind of mechanical failure that does happen, but it wasn't because of the autonomous driving technology. That is important for these companies to maintain almost a spotless record where they can say, you know what, our autonomous technology has never caused an accident. So how has the safety record of these test trucks been so far? So far, so good. They haven't caused an accident, that's for sure. They have been in accidents. There is a reporting system, a federal reporting system, where they report any incident that has happened, no matter how minor. The cool thing is that they attach part of the police report to it in a section so you can see what happened. There was one case where a vehicle crossed over two lanes and hit the truck in the back. And it turned out that the driver admitted that he fell asleep and his car crossed over two lanes, but he wasn't hurt. It crumpled up his hood. (laughs) He had to be towed, but the truck was able to carry on. I didn't see any of the accident reports where you would say, oh, the truck was at fault here. It was the human, essentially, that made the mistake. Right now, these trucks are being tested in Texas, but can they leave Texas and go into other states? They can. Right now, the regulations have really been left up to the states for autonomous trucking. The federal government is likely to weigh in on this, but for right now, it's really up to the states to allow this. And there's a wide swath along the Sun Belt, if you will, of states that are allowing this. From Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, on out, and even up into Oklahoma. So, yes, it is happening. Tom, you said that Safety concerns have to be set aside before they can get final approval. How long until that happens? How long do you think before we start seeing autonomous 18-wheelers 
all over the place in Texas and other states. It's very interesting because in a state like Texas, there's probably no other hurdles for Aurora, Kodiak, and some of these others to go driver out. It really kind of is up to them to say, okay, we've proved our safety case. They have more or less a green light to go. I'm sure they're going to have to get some sign off from state authorities when they want to go driver out because it's a big step. What's holding them back is they know that they have to be really cautious about this. Because we talked about that if they had an accident in which the autonomous truck caused an accident, it would be a terrible blow for the whole industry. So when you look down the road, sorry for the pun, Five years, 10 years, do you think that the highways will be filled with more driverless trucks than trucks with people behind the wheel? I would probably say no, just because I think this will be a slow rollout, slow and deliberate. I could be wrong. It doesn't have any kind of production limitations. Again, it's really about software. So if it does take off and people embrace it and it really shows that it's safe, I could see it ramping up quite quickly. But I tend to think that it's going to be a slow rollout. Tom, thanks for the ride along. Yeah, it's been fun. When we come back, the CEO of a driverless trucking company talks about what it takes to put one of these vehicles on the road. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Now let's hear from someone who's working to put these trucks on the road. Chris Ermson is CEO of Aurora, one of the companies Tom was talking about. Chris, what made you want to get into this business? Honestly, back in the day, I thought it was cool. You know, I was a graduate student at the time in Carnegie Mellon, and we'd been working on some very slow-moving robots. We're out in the desert in the Atacama, and the robot drove about 30 centimeters a second, which is how fast you move if you have a walker. And my PhD advisor said, hey, there's this competition to go drive robots across the desert at 50 miles an hour. And I thought, that sounds amazing. And then over the last 20 years of working on it, you know, I've had the chance to work with amazing people. We work on a really challenging technical problem and a problem that has profound impact on society. And so that's kind of kept me with it over the couple of decades. 
So those challenging technical problems, why don't we just talk about some of those? What is the biggest hurdle that you've had to try to puzzle through and overcome? The joy of this problem is there's no one, right? That there's a collection of problems, you know, around how do you see far enough down the road? How do you model the way other people are going to behave on the road, given what you do and, and how that interaction works and the complexities of that? And then how do you convince yourself that, you know, it works well enough that you could trust it out in the world and that when something breaks, that it's going to respond in a way that's safe. And so it's that collection of all of those things. And then you layer on top of the technology, the business challenges and the, you know, engaging with the public and policymakers. And, you know, it, it's a fascinating space. Where are you right now? How many trucks are out on the road? Where are they going? So we're on the road today in Texas. We drive between Fort Worth and El Paso and between Dallas and Houston. Every day we're hauling loads for customers. We work with partners like FedEx, Werner, Schneider, Hirschbach, Uber Freight, and a couple of others we can't talk about yet. And we have on order of about 30 trucks that are out there. Now, are these trucks that are actually out there delivering goods completely driverless or is there someone in the cab with their hands kind of hovering over the steering wheel? So today we have a team in the vehicles monitoring the system, but the vast majority of the time it's driving itself. By the end of next year, we expect to be at the point where we have vehicles operating on the road without people on board. So truly without human operators there. And what has to happen between now and then for you to feel comfortable or anyone else who might wanna sign off on this to say, yeah, we're totally fine with these things just going off and doing their thing. We've laid out a sequence of milestones. There were, you know, a bunch of things, but the three big ones were to get to feature complete, to get to what we're called the Aurora driver ready, and then to launch commercially. And so feature complete, we achieved at the beginning of this year. And that really meant that all the parts are there, they work, but we haven't yet convinced ourselves that they're all the way correct and that we validated that we're safe to go. By the end of this year, when we hit this goal of Aurora driver ready, our expectation is at that point, the parts that we control, the software, the way the sensors work with each other, what's on the computer, all of that, that we have done all of the testing and all of the analysis to convince ourselves that if we had a truck that was ready to go, we'd be happy to put it on the road and be safe. And then finally, commercial launch will happen next year. And that's where we've done the work with our great automotive and, uh, and truck partners to do the final testing and integration to make sure our stuff talks to their stuff the way it's supposed to and everything is copacetic. Earlier, I was talking to my colleague, Thomas Black, who was saying that one of the challenges is that people know that there will be accidents on the road when people are driving cars, but that the safety record, if it's driven autonomously, almost needs to be perfect or else people will not have confidence. Is that like a bar that you can meet? It's easy to overlook the status quo today, right? That 42,000 Americans die on our roads every year and one and a quarter million people die globally. And this is a technology that really can drive that towards zero. And that's what we're focused on. And that work we do to demonstrate to ourselves that the vehicle is proficient is kind of profound. There's a few different ways we've explored this. So one is that the Department of Transportation has a taxonomy for how vehicles get into collisions. And so we've taken that taxonomy and we've said, okay, let's expose the Aurora driver to each of these kind of scenarios. And then let's create variations of them, tens of thousands of kind of near-miss events 
or near collision events. And let's make sure in all of them, the Aurora driver is behaving the way we'd want to. That's events that you or I, we'd see if any, one or two of these events in our lifetimes. And we're pushing the system through tens of thousands of them. And then we've actually looked at the real world implication of this. So the road that we're driving between Dallas and Houston is I-45. We've looked at all of the fatal accidents that involve trucks that happened between 2018 and 2022. And we pulled the incident reports on those. And then we created simulations where we had the Aurora driver operating the vehicle. And it was 29 of these that the Aurora driver could have been operating. And across all 29 of them, if the Aurora driver had been operating, the collision just would not have occurred. And if you think about the impact for those families of what this would mean, right? The not losing those loved ones. It's really the message home for me. I imagine you spend a certain amount of your time just trying to explain this stuff to people to build a kind of comfort level with the idea of this happening. What's the biggest misconception you come across when you start talking to people about a driverless truck? People have rational concern about the new and the uncertain. It's a perfectly normal behavior and expected and warranted. We're driving 70,000 pound trucks down the road. You should have questions. And what we find is that people very quickly accept. So I've been working in this space for 20 years and we've given folks rides in automated vehicles for a better part of that time. You know, you'll have the folks who are really excited about this. And so let's not talk about them. They get in, this is wonderful, amazing, wow, right? But you have the skeptics and they're like, I don't know, this must be smoke and mirrors. I don't know that I'd ever trust it. And they get in the back of the vehicle and you know, for the first five minutes, they're kind of tense and they're like, you know, what's happening here, right? And then then they start to relax and, you know, invariably you get some kind of comment or question of it just, you know, it just drives, that's it. And then somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes, they're checking their phones. And so exposing people to this, I think, is one of the ways that you can help them understand. And part of my, you know, amateur psychology here is that we're all used to driving in vehicles that other people drive. It's just a very common experience, and very quickly we kind of pattern match to that and relax around it. Chris, you've been at this for 20 years. I'm going to ask you a crystal ball question. When you look ahead 10 years, what percentage of long-haul trucks across the U.S. are autonomous? It's still going to be a small percentage because the market is just so big, right? It's an $800 billion market today. And so this technology is going to roll out and grow and it's going to have an impact. And initially, it's going to be about filling the shortage of drivers that are out there today. So in the U.S., we're short about 80,000 drivers. We expect by the end of the decade to be short about twice that, 160,000. And so automated driving is one way to complement the human drivers that are out there today doing a really important and noble job. Chris, really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicki Vergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Our producers are Michael Falero and Mo Barrow. Rafael M. Seeley is our engineer. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take.
What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.